Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So we've been going, studying the, the book of John, the, the gospel according to John. And as we have um, mentioned this, as we've gone through here, we have been considering um, John's, if you would, intent in presenting the Son of God as the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And in my mind, the second one comes because I see this coming so specifically from the high priestly prayer that John's intent right now is, again, as you've got to think back when he's writing, there is division beginning throughout the church, okay? Which is kind of weird for us to think about. This We're talking about 30 to 50 years after Jesus died and was resurrected. Already there were false teachers in the church. And so... Um, John is in the city of Ephesus. He's dealing, as we read from the Pauline epistles, with all the Judaizers who were coming in, who were trying to bring the people back under the law. But he's also dealing with the paganistic teachings of Gnosticism, which has some Christian terminology. And as he's bringing this, he's trying to bring the church into this unity that they're supposed to have. In our unity, as we read, not only here, but also in the Pauline epistles and stuff, is always in Christ. But the question always is, what about Christ? It's when we get to John 8 that we're going to see that Jesus is making very clear who he is. Over the, the, the past couple weeks, um, we have considered that Jesus declared that he was the, the bread of life. And as we, we saw that in, when the feeding of the, the 5,000 plus, and Jesus then re- equated himself with the manna that came from heaven, but that he was the bread of life, we talked about the fact that there were seven ego amis that are commonly referred to the seven I am's of John. I'm going to present to you today that there's actually more, and the other ones that aren't talked about are actually the ones that are most important. Okay. But there are seven I am's, and the first of those I am's is I am the bread of life, okay? And I said that we'd come back to that when we got to John 8. Guess what? Here we are. And then we went um, into the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and we talked about the fact that the, the importance of the Feast of Tabernacles then was that it was the feast when all the nations, during the millennium, all the nations were going to have to come to Jerusalem. So there was... Three times a year when Jews, Jewish men, had a report, if you would, had to come to Jerusalem. They had to come for the Feast of Passover. They had to come for the Feast of Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks, which we refer to as the the Feast of Pentecost. But then they also had to come for Sochoth, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. But it was during the Feast of Tabernacles when they were celebrating the presence of Yahweh on the earth. In the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That that was the... Shechanah Chabod. If you have the, the large print edition of the sermon note sheets, you'll see Shechanah Chabod on there. If you have the small print, I got rid of it because I needed space to try to get everything within that, that small page. Okay, But it's Shechanah Chabod. Shechan is the Hebrew word for tenting or tabernacling. Okay, Chabod is the Hebrew word for glory. So it's the tenting glory of Yahweh on the earth. What's exciting about that, if you remember from John 1, we read that the word became flesh and tented, tabernacle, tented. 
it says dwelt among us, but there is the word meno, to remain, to dwell, okay? But that's not it in, in the Greek. It's the word to tent. He tented among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And so, right from the beginning of the book of John, remember, go all the way back to John 1, we are the shot over the bow. John's declaring who Jesus is. So now Jesus is is there in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles when they are celebrating this thing, and Jesus is declaring clearly who he is. Last week, David moved into the, the woman who was caught in adultery, okay? And that was the day after the great day of the feast, okay? And it occurred in the, in the court of the woman. That's where he was, okay? And what's important about that, that was also the court of the treasury, okay? But what's important about that is that it is also where they would have these great menorahs, these great lights, which would be um, revealing the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That was their representation during the Feast of Tabernacles. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, the water libation. Remember on the great day, and they had the wine and the water and how it would come together? Well, they would have these, and I didn't really talk about these, these lights that, that were there, okay? Probably a bad rendering of them there, but they were probably more like menorahs, okay? But they were, they were there showing these great light, okay? And they had a great menorah that they would light. It was just an exciting thing, okay? And it's the midst of all this, then, that this stuff's happened. So the day after it, well, we know from John chapter 9, is actually a weekly Sabbath. I don't think I remember David pointing that out last week, which is okay. But that even intensifies, if you would, what was going on when, when the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees were bringing this woman to Jesus. They were, it was a Shabbat. There was a, a Sabbath day. And they were going out, setting up a woman in adultery so they could bring her, not him, to Jesus, right? Okay? So all this is going on on a weekly Sabbath. You can check me out on that, okay? Which is really kind of an exciting thing. But um, in all that then, um, we have the, the what, and that is we go on this time from the stoning of the woman, which doesn't happen, right? Because Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone, right? To the stoning of the Messiah. So I haven't read John 8 yet, okay? But I'm kind of counting on you to understand this. This is where, where we're going. We're going from the stoning of the woman to the stoning of the Messiah. And so you've got to ask yourself, why? What happened? What happened on the weekly Sabbath that these guys went from backing off at throwing stones at the woman to wanting to instantaneously stone Jesus, their Messiah, who they rejected. Jesus drew a line in the sand. We always picture Jesus writing in the sand, you know, with the, with the woman, right? But literally, in this chapter, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. And he's declaring unequivocally for them to understand who he was. And by the end of the chapter... They get it to the point where they want to kill him immediately. They want to kill him immediately. But before we can fully, in my brain, understand what's happening, 
I want to overwhelm you. I said that earlier when we're passing out the sheets. I want to overwhelm you with scripture. I want you to understand what the Jewish people understood when they heard what he's going to tell them. We're not going to spend a lot of time on what he told them. We're going to go over this passage again next week. Okay? And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of discipleship and being followers of Christ. Okay? But this week, period, I want to look at I am. I am. In order to do that, you really need to have a proper understanding of what the Jewish people understood. So, first we have is the Old Testament use of Ani Yahweh. Okay? Ani Yahweh. Now, you say, what is Ani Yahweh? Okay? Ani Yahweh is I am. I am. And so, we're going to go through all these passages. So, if you have that, those verse sheets, you have exactly what I have. Um, well, not fully. I got two sheets of them. But anyways, but, um, but what I'm going to read, okay? So, we're going to start with Exodus 3, 13 to, 13 to 15. So, if you got that, okay? Then Moses said to God, this is when God's calling Moses to go deliver Israel from Egypt, okay? Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of our fathers, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. And they say, What is his name? What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And I left the Hebrew in there for you, so you can kind of check that out with it, okay? And so, Ehayah Esher Ha'ayah. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Hi-yah. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name. How long? Forever. And this is my memorial. What's your memorial? What's a memorial? Say again. Something to remember. Something to remember something by. Okay? We just had a memorial. We celebrated communion. Why do we do that? To remember. To remember what? To remember what Jesus has done for us. What did God say was the memorial? Say again. His name. His name. His name is the memorial. This is important to me. Very important to me. This is so huge to me. Okay? People shy away from his name. Wouldn't you hate it? I mean, no one wants to say your name. They never say your name. I've, I've had a challenge guys sometimes when they refer to their wife in the third person. She, she, she. She has a name. It's okay. You can use her name. It's refer to her as, her, as who she is. I mean... Don't you hate it? My name's Bob. You know, don't abuse it, but, you know. Hey, Bob, you bobbing? Anyway, so, you know, <laughs> sorry. You, you got names. You, you know, I always want to name my kid Chuck Roast. Anyway, so, um, but my last name wasn't Roast, so I couldn't do it. Um, wouldn't you do that? Kid Charles, we call it Chuck Roast. Hey, Chuck. Um, don't, and Sorry, Chuck, but <laughs> did you ready to get the, hey, what's up, Chuck? Anyways, that was, so, um, but God's name is special. It's a memorial. It's not to be what? Misused. Ah, that's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Yeah. You should not misuse the name of Yahweh, your God. For God will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. But he didn't say, 
you shall not use the name of the Lord your God, because God will not hold him guiltless who uses his name. It's not what he said. What he said was, you shouldn't what? You shouldn't misuse it, shouldn't abuse it. But his name is important. That's why he gave it to us. If he didn't want us to use a name, like he doesn't want us to have an image, he'd have said, I'm not giving you a name. I'm the God of creation. I'm the God of all things. Just tell him the God of all things sent you. But he didn't. He gave him a what? He gave him a name. And this is my name. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Isaiah 42, verse 8, continues on all the way to the time of Isaiah. Remember, he was a prophet during the times of the, the days of Hezekiah and such, right? Yahweh declares through him, I am Yahweh. This is, um, we're going to see this in a moment when we come back to Ani Yahweh, okay, more. But he's already using Ani Yahweh. I am, I am, okay? That is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. So, the first thing we see is that it is a reflection of his very essence. What does the name Yahweh mean? Some of you ought to know this already, right? What does the name Yahweh mean? Nope. Nope. The one who exists. So, back up there in Exodus 3, because that's why I put it up there, okay? You have Hiyah, Ashir, Yah, okay? Hiyah is the verb to be. Yahweh, then, is a derivation of Hiyah, and it literally means the one who exists. He is the uncaused cause. He is the uncaused cause. He is the one who exists, who holds all things in the being. We read that in Colossians. He's the one that holds all things together. If God didn't exist, you wouldn't. We wouldn't even be talking about it right now. We exist because he exists. That's what he says his name is. I am. That's who I am. I'm the one who exists. And I claim that name. I claim it. Forever. As a memorial. For do you remember... You exist. Think about this. Because I exist. Now, that plays in then to these other things, okay, with his existence, okay? So I want to continue on because I shouldn't have flicked that first. So keep moving on. Exodus um, 6, verses 2 to 8. Then God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Ani Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. By my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am Yahweh, Ani Yahweh. Ani Yahweh what? I am. Period. Say to them, Ani Yahweh, I am, I am. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall what? Know that Ani Yahweh, I am, I am, your God who brings you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am Ani Yahweh. 
I will do these things, and I will do these things based upon the fact that what? I am. I exist. This is how it's going to play out. All things exist because I exist. Why do you think you can turn water into blood? Why do you think you can bring frogs out from nothing? Why do you think all of a sudden gnats appear? Why do you think locusts come? Why do you think also in the middle of the day it's dark where you can't even see your hand in front of you? Because I'm Yahweh. Because I am. Do you need any other reasons? Mom, Dad, tell the kids to take the garbage out. Why? Because I told you. Because I'm dead. I mean, we can talk about the garbage stinks and all this kind of stuff. We can talk about all the, the other reasons for it. But when it really boils down to it, is what? Because I told you so. Ani Yahweh. Because I am. I can't necessarily claim that from that strength of it. But that's really the, the idea, right? Because I'm dead. Well, he's what? He's existence. Do you get it? He's existence. You have a breath of life in your mouth because he gave it to you. He gave it to you and he can what? He can take it. Well, that leads then into this next point, declaring his existence. Then you shall what? You shall know. So I'm doing these things. I'm, I'm coming and I'm going to do all these wonders, all these signs. So what? So you know what? Ani Yahweh. So you know I exist. I want you to know. I don't want you just to think, well, you know, maybe I think so, whatever. Have you ever have God done something like, woohoo, in your life? And, and you know the rest of your life you can't say what? He's not real. Because he like proved himself real. I shouldn't need that because I have all these things that he's done in the past. But he's so gracious that he lets us get a, have our socks knocked off every once in a while. Right? And you go, whoa, God, you are. And then you kind of want to put a lot of things. But you just stop right there. God, what? You are. Yeah. Keep going. Exodus 7, verse 4 to 5. This is exciting stuff to me. But Pharaoh will not heed you. I'm going to do, we're going to do all these things. But Pharaoh's not going to heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. He had no army yet at that point. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, he just had people. But he's going to make him into what? An army. But he already sees him as a what? An army. He's going to bring his armies out. And my people and the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians, what? Shall know. Shall know what? Ani Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel. God doesn't just want his children to know. He wants all Men. He wants the neighborhood out there. He wants our neighbors over there. He wants the neighbors over there. He wants your neighbors. He wants everyone to know what? He exists. Ani Yahweh. That he is the one in whom existence is. You know, back in the 60s, Life magazine had a big um, thing on the cover. I can't remember if it was 67 or 68. Do you remember it? God is dead. God is dead. Say again? False advertisement. Yeah, exactly right. I love it. So because they declared it, you know what? A lot of people said what? It must be true. I thought it was always interesting. It was on Life magazine. That's kind of a contradiction in term. 
That magazine is dead. That's exactly right. How cool is that? That's exactly right. Yeah. So keep going on. Exodus 7 again, verse 15 to 17. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to them, Yahweh, Elohim of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says Yahweh, By this you shall know. Who is he talking to? Pharaoh, an individual, not just generic. He's talking to the most powerful man, quote-unquote, on the earth at the time. Who do you think that most powerful man on the earth is right now? Don't tell me. You just think about it. Guess what? God wants that person to know something. What does he want them to know? That Ani Yahweh, that I am, I am. We want to cast um, condemnation upon him. God wants them to know he exists. In the end, do you know what people are going to get condemned for? We're going to see it in just a little bit here. This is so powerful. In the end, they're going to be condemned because they don't believe Ani Yahweh. They don't believe he exists. They're rejecting the very notion that God is existence. How sad is that? Pharaoh says, I don't know this guy. Who is this Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh. Ah, I'm not following this Yahweh. Exodus 10, verse 1 and 2. Now Yahweh said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your sons' sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you, and by extension, they may know what? Ani Yahweh. So now who does Yahweh want to know that he is Yahweh? Your kids and your grandkids. This is a big deal to me. i got grandkids now. If there's one thing that I want my grandkids to know, Ani Yahweh, I want them to know that God is, that he exists, that he is the one to be worshipped, that he is the one to be served. Exodus 12, 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Why? On Yahweh. Exodus 14, 4. When I, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know what? On Yahweh. And they did so. Exodus 14, verse 17 and 18. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that Ani Yahweh, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Do you get? There's judgment that's coming on these people, right? But why is he ultimately judging them or chastening them? So they understand. Why? Mom and dad. Think proper here. Don't think fleshly. Why do you spank? Should you spank? Why should you chasten your children? To teach what? Help me out. Teach obedience. Who said that? Behind. Oh, Curtis, what did you say? Ultimately, it's submission to God. It's a recognition of authority. It's a recognition that they aren't the center of the universe. That there's another center of the universe who makes the rules by which they got to live by. Do you get it? That that's really what 
what this is all about? We rebel. Ultimately, what are we rebelling against? It's not against the... I mean, when I rebel, I don't do this. I'm lying. Anyways, when I rebel against that white rectangular sign with black letters, black numbers in it, we won't say specifically because I, I can bring myself to talk about it. Anyways, but you got what I'm talking about, right? And all of a sudden, your foot feeling a little heavier than it's supposed to be feeling at that moment, you know, or um, Detroit didn't do a good enough job of, of, of making sure that you set the uh, cruise control at the right thing. Anyways, you get where I'm going on this, right? Romans 13 says, when you rebel against the governing authorities, you're really rebelling <coughs> against the ultimate authority. How hard is that? I'm, I, man, I wish God wouldn't have revealed that to me years ago. What a struggle it is for me when I'm driving. I mean, I am fighting a battle. Oh, God, you know, but they really don't have the right to do this. I mean, they're, they're overstepping their bounds of their authority. And so like, and God's like, oh, really? Where did you read that in the word? Anyways, and so that they may what? No. We walk a testimony before everybody all the time. Why? That the world may know on a Yahweh. How cool is that? God is doing all things because he wants people to know on a Yahweh. Well, we also read then about declaring his presence. Look down at Exodus 29, verse 40, 46. So I will consecrate, set apart the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am on a Yahweh their God, their Elohim, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell amongst them. I am Yahweh, Ani Yahweh. I want them to know Ani Yahweh, so I'm coming, I'm going to dwell in their midst. Why? Because I am Ani Yahweh. Because I am, I am. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in their midst. So they'll know. And then we read about it in... um, Ex, or ex, Zechariah chapter 2 and then Zechariah chapter, oh, my mind's blanking out, 10 or 12. Gerald, you're tracking with me? Is it 12? About where does he say in Zechariah that he's going to come and he's going to dwell in their midst? Well, it's two and then there's another place. Is it four? Anyways, but at least two. So, and then Isaiah 48 is very clear that Yahweh says that now Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Adonai and his Ruach have sent me. He says so overwhelmingly that he's going to come and he's going to dwell in their midst. Why? So they'll know. I got to keep moving. Declaring his substance, his his name, Ani Yahweh. This whole thing is declaring then his holiness. Okay, Leviticus eighteen to twenty six. We're not going to read passages here, but you can see what I put here. It'd be overwhelming, right? Fifty times, fifty times in the context of Israel's sanctification before him, he declares, "You need to do this because Ani Yahweh. I want you to be set apart to me. I want you to be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. Because I'm Ani Yahweh." Because I exist. Isaiah 41.4 says, He who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, Ani Yahweh, I the Lord, am the first, and I am the last. His infiniteness. We think infinite only refers to time. Because we're, we're stuck in time. But before Genesis 1.1, what was there? Ani Yahweh. God created the heavens and the earth. He put it in space. When you take, create matter, you put matter in space, what do you make? 
Time. Time, space, and matter, you're stuck in it. But God isn't. God's outside of it. On Yahweh. How cool is that? And he is not only infinite time-wise, he is infinite spatially. That's mind-boggling. I mean, think about the universe. Say again. He's bigger. But we can't figure out where the ends of the universe are. And he's beyond the universe. Every time they think, oh, we think we're found the ends of the universe, all of a sudden they, say, they go, what? Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> actually, it goes, go, goes further. I think God's laughing, man. Good. Create a bigger Hubble telescope. Go ahead. Here, let me give you the, let me give you the wisdom to know how to do that. You think it's your own wisdom, but I'm going to let you know how to do it. So you can figure out the expanse, and it's going to boggle your brain, and you have no excuse. Because on Yahweh, I am going to blow the socks off you because I want you to know I am. But man, we're told in Romans chapter 1, exchange the truth for what? A lie. And instead of choosing to worship the creator, they choose to worship the creation. Isn't that mind-boggling? I mean, have you ever looked at some of the the things that the Hubble telescope is, is sending us? Marsha and I were looking at solar flares. This, I, I can't get into it right now. Great, great side subject here. But anyways, I was th- thinking about the, the Christ being an emanation from God. Anyways, whatever. So anyways, looking at solar flares. And in, in the pictures that they've been able to take now, the videos of these solar flares, and they're trying to analyze them. They can't come up with a, 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 a perfect pattern on this thing. And they can't explain why it happens. But there's this nuclear explosion going on and, and things that are reaching us like instantaneous. And you think, duh, someone would say, you know what? I don't think this just happened. This kind of almost seems like it was designed. <laughs> but they can't go there. They can't even talk about intelligent design because the minute they go to intelligent design, they recognize the fact that that means there has to be what? On Yahweh. Do you get it? Oh, this is exciting stuff. His exclusiveness. Isaiah 45, verses 5 to 7. I am Yahweh. Ani Yahweh. There is what? How many? No other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to the setting that there is none beside me, Ani Yahweh. And there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. Ani Yahweh do all these things. Isaiah 45, verse 18 to 21. For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. Ani Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And there is what? No other. How many? None. I have not spoken in secret. In the dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. Ani Yahweh. Speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge, who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not Ani Yahweh? And there is what? No God. How many? None beside me. A just God and a what? Savior. Who? Hmm. How many? There is none besides me. Do you see how many times he's saying 
There's none. There's none. There's none. No, no other. No, no other. When Jesus, when we finally get to John 14, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father, but by what? But by me. He meant that. Exclusiveness. Okay, we've got to keep flying here. Okay? But also then, his authority. Now, you can see all these passages in Ezekiel. Okay? Um, there are so many of these passages that, that we're not going to go through them. Okay? Um, but, in a nutshell, what it says is, you read in English, I, Yahweh, I, the Lord, have spoken it. However, in the Hebrew, what it should say is, I am Yahweh, I have spoken. It says, Ani Yahweh, and then I have spoken. It's a statement of his authority. I am, and I have spoken. Why should I do it? Ani Yahweh, and I said so. There's no other reason, guys. When you read God's word and you start to want to debate, stop the debate on Yahweh. It's what it is. It's what it is. On Yahweh. All right. We've got to keep flying. This, we don't, we're not going to return here. This is just a statement I want to go to because, again, I want you to understand what the Jews were understanding when Jesus spoke. Okay? And this is the Septuagint. You say, what's LXX? That's 70 in Roman numerals, right? It's the Septuagint. It refers to the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament when Jesus was around, okay? Greek was becoming the, 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 the modern language. So, like, we don't read the Hebrew and the Greek, right? We have English. So, Greek was becoming the common language. The koine, koine actually is the Greek word for common. So, um, I don't have mine here. Anyways, I don't know if you have your New Testament there, but anyways, we would have the Koine Greek is what we study. It's called the Common Greek. It's not modern Greek. It's, it's the Greek from back then, okay? But anyway, so they would have the Septuagint, and the Septuagint then was the Old Testament translation into Greek. Now, because of what I said earlier, that they were afraid, rather, of misusing the name and abusing the name, they were afraid of using the name. So they wouldn't say Yahweh anymore. They were afraid of saying Yahweh. So like if you go to a lot of Jewish sites or Messianic sites today, you'll see that they'll have G hyphen D or L hyphen RD. And even in English, they won't even use the words. And that's not even his name. Those are just words representing his office. And they're afraid of misusing it. Okay. And that's not what he meant. That's not what he said. So they then got into a practice of instead of saying Yahweh, they would then say Adonai. Adonai is the Hebrew word for master or Lord. Okay? And so, which is really kind of rough because there are times when in the Hebrew, so for example in Isaiah 48, when it is Yahweh Adonai in his Ruach who sent Yahweh. You see, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Yahweh's declaring that Yahweh Adonai and Yahweh Ruach are sending him. Okay? You've got the triunity of God in the Old Testament. It's really kind of cool. It's not a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. Okay, it's, it's right there. But, but now all of a sudden I go from Yahweh Adonai to what am I going to say? Adonai, Adonai. That's kind of weird. So they, they just got rid of it and just put Adonai because they're afraid of saying his name. Now when you come to the Greek then, the Greek equivalent of Adonai is the word Kyrios. Kyrios is the word Lord. Okay? And so, so in the Greek, they would say ego Kyrios. Ego is I, so equivalent Ani. Kyrios, equivalent Adonai, 
but not the equivalent of Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. Ani, I. Yahweh, I am. I am, I am. Okay, it's an equivalent statement. So they would then, in the Greek Septuagint, say, ego, kyrios. Now, that brings us into then what's happening in the New Testament, okay? Because in the New Testament, what we read is ego, me. Ego, again, I, my ego. Ego, I, ego. Ami, ami is the, the base verb, I am. I am, I am. You can see, I've got up there, that it is used as an emphatic expression at times. Okay? So, it could be used as, I, I, I am, I, it is me. Okay? So, in other words, not talking about Yahweh. You know, it could be, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, that's me. I, I am. Okay? Um, and so, you can see that. Turn my page. Um, in Matthew 24, um, Jesus says, Many will come to him in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, I, in, my, in my mind, I'm putting it up here with the, the emphatic expressions, but it wouldn't uh, surprise me if in those days that they're also claiming deity. Make sense? So I, I reserve judgment on this one. They may actually be saying, I am, I am. Make sense? But I'll give it the ex- emphatic expression here. Matthew 26, verses 22, and then verse 25. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, each one of them. This is the disciples. Um, when Jesus said one of them was going to betray him, each one of them began to say to them, Lord, ego e me? Is it I, Lord? So you can see there, meti ego e me, curia. Okay, and it says, so if, can it really be me, Lord? But what I want you to note this is, the reason I put this here, is there's, an object after the ego and me. Ego and me, curia. Okay? So if you're looking at it, you'll see it. Okay? Uh, so Luke 1.19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of Yahweh. Ego and me, Gabriel. There's an object to the ego and me. Okay? Ego and me, Gabriel. Uh, Luke 24.39, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Hati altas ego and me. Handle me and see me. Okay? The, the altas comes there. Look and see that it's I myself. John four twenty six, Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, I am ego me, the one speaking to you. But then there's an object, the one speaking to you. So even though I think he might have been saying ego me, I am, I am. I can't prove that. Make sense? There's an object. So what I want you to see is there's an object, there's an object, there's an object, there's an object. It describes something. When it says ego me something, are you tracking with me? Tell me yes or no, because I don't want to lose you. This is an important part. If it's ego me, something, then I'm, I'm good. Let's put it in the realm of um, emphatic expression. So we, we're not going to debate over potentialities. Make sense? Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons love to debate you over potentialities. Okay? When we're getting to the end here, there's no potentialities. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay? So, so I'm going to be honest. Okay? Ego and me occurs 48 times in the New Testament. 48 times. We're going through some of these. 24 times it appears in the book of John. Five times it appears in John 8. You only read it twice. But it's happening five times in, in John 8. 
It's amazing stuff, okay? So we're coming through here, so this is an emphatic expression, but it's also, I think, in other places than John, an equivalent of on Yahweh. So let me give you some illustrations. Matthew 14, verse 27. When Jesus was walking on the water, right? All the disciples are all panicked and everything. They look out. Jesus says to them, what? Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Well, in the parentheses, you got the Greek, okay? You got that first word that starts with a theta. You guys take math. You know what a theta looks like, right? It starts with a theta, okay? Well, that's the verb. So you can see it ends in an E-I-T-E. Is that what it looks like? It looks like E-I-T-E, okay? That's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a verb ending, okay? Where he says, you all don't be a, um, be a good cheer, okay? Then he says, eguami. Then he says, may phobiese. Don't be afraid. There's no object. No object. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the no object. Rejoice. Ego me. Don't be afraid. Why should they rejoice and not be afraid? Ani Yahweh. Jesus is standing on the water in the middle of a storm. They're looking out thinking they got a ghost. And he says what? Hey, hey, guys, cheer up on Yahweh. I am, I am. Don't be afraid. What do you think he was doing at that very moment? He's proven it. He's not splitting the water in two for them to walk through. He's walking on the water. And then Peter says what? Lord, if it's really you, I like to say, I'd like to know which part of the Lord he said. Did he say Adonai? I mean, what was he? I mean, he's, I mean, he's, if it's really you, let me tell me to come out. And you think, how dumb is that? What if it's not him? You know, what is it? Jesus says, what? Come on out. Join me. We're going to have a party out here on the top of the water. Peter gets out and he starts walking. Do you imagine what all the other disciples are thinking at this moment? Peter, Peter, don't, don't. Whoa, that's like really cool. I wish I had that kind of faith. Amen. I mean, really, I'm out, I'm back in the boat thinking what? Well, that had really been a cool experience. And then all of a sudden he looks at the storm and he what? He falls down and he says, Lord, don't you wish you, you knew what he said there at that moment? Did he say, Yahweh, save me? Did he say, Hosanna? Did he, did he say, Yeshua? Did he, I mean, was he, what was he crying out? Who was he calling to, to save him? Because Jesus already said, Adi Yahweh, I am, I am. And Jesus reaches down and says, Ah, oh, you have little faith. Man, we were going to have a party out here. You blew it. Don't you wonder if you look at the other guys? Don't despise him. He's out here with me. You're still in the boat. Kind of fun stuff, isn't it? Anyways, you got to keep going. So, Matthew 22, verse 32. Jesus, referring to the Old Testament, said... I am ego me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's very clearly used as, a, as the equivalent of Ani Yahweh. Mark 14, verses 61 to 64. But Jesus kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am, and you will see me, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clause of heaven. And so we're told in that thing that Jesus said, Ego me, and you shall see. He doesn't say, I am the Son of Man. At the very end, you can read what was the reaction of the high priest. He 
tore his clothes and he cried out blaspheme. We don't need any other because he's just done it. What did he, Jesus just do? He claimed to be Yahweh. He used the name. He used the name. And that was enough. He claimed that he was Yahweh, Ani Yahweh. And that was, boom, you're dead. It's fun stuff. That leads us then into John. Now, I'm not going to go into the seven metaphorical um, I am's. Here they are. I am the, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, okay? And again, there is the Ani Yahweh, the uh, Ego Emi, that's all a part of this. We talked about him being the bread of life and what that means. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the I am the light of the world part of it when we get to the discipleship aspect of all this. And then we'll finally come to I am the door. Um, I think Chuck is going to be speaking on I am the good shepherd at the end of the month, okay? I'm the resurrection of life. We'll get to all these, okay? But these are all exciting, okay? Very exciting. But to me, they're not the key. Because there are five usages here in John 8, which just will blow your socks off, okay, as we, as we come through this. First of all, uh, in, in, sorry, not John 8, in the book of John, these are unequivocal, no object added renderings of what Jesus is saying. So John 13, Jesus is telling his disciples of the, the, one of them is going to betray him. And he says to them, when it comes to pass that you may believe, ego and me. I'm not going to get time to teach on this one. We'll come to it in John 13. But just for you to know, Jesus said that when he gets betrayed, it's going to be evidence that what? Ani Yahweh, ego and me. That I am, I am. No other no other object there. You're gonna, it's going to be proof. In John 18 then, the wonderment part of this, when they're in the garden, right, the mob comes to get them. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. And Jesus says what? Ego in me. I think he declares, probably in the Hebrew, on Yahweh. And they all just, oh! And that's what it says. They fell back and they fell to the ground. That's pretty impressive. And so he's standing there. They're on the ground. And he says, Who are you looking for? I told you. Ego and me. On Yahweh. And they still what? Arrested him. So now we come back, John 8, because we'll talk about those passages later. John 8. The importance. Okay? The importance. Look at verse 24. John 8, verse 24. You have the passage here, John 8, 12 to 59 parts of it on your sheet okay i have the whole thing of it um and we don't have time to read it i was debating whether to read the whole passage when we get to this point but i figured i'd look at the time and so we don't have time to read it but you have it here you can read it okay but i want you to look down verse 24 okay and i want to look at the context here real quick i'm going to begin at verse 21 hopefully you have that on your sheet then jesus said to them again i am going away hoopago it's not ego me it's not i am like that okay it's just Hoopago, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, Hoopago, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above, not ego me. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You can see, I got the Greek down below, so you can see that it's not ego me, but rather that's different words in separation of the ego and the me. Okay? But you are from beneath. I'm from above. You're the world. I'm not of the world. 
Okay. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe, ego and me. If you do not believe, ego and me, you will die in your sins. Now, on the English part of it, you'll note it says, if you do not believe, I am what? He. But the he is in italicies. Whenever you read a literal version of the Bible, King James, New King James, New American Standard, and they have the italicized words, it's because they're not there in the original. The translator became an interpreter and decided that you needed that word. Get rid of it. What Jesus declared was, unless you believe on Yahweh, unless you believe Egwami, unless you believe I am, I am, you will die in your sins. Look at their reaction. What do they say to him? Then they said to him, who are you? Just what I've been telling you is his response. Unless you believe I am Yahweh incarnate, unless you believe that I have tented among you, you're going to what? You're going to die in your sins. This is an important point to me. Does somebody have to believe that Jesus is God in order to be truly saved? Yes. Emphatically, yes. Now, will they fully comprehend that maybe when they first come to Christ? No. But I think if they're truly saved, when they come, they come to this understanding, they will what? They'll receive it. Because it's true. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Make sense? I don't think a child has to have a quote-unquote seminary degree. And I don't think anybody has to have a seminary degree, but you get what I'm going with that, okay? I don't think a little child's got to know everything in order to be saved. They just know that Jesus loves them, Jesus saved them, that they're a sinner, and they can't go to heaven on their own, and they accept Christ as their Savior. That's really cool. And they just love on Jesus, right? And then they find out that Jesus is God, and they're cool with it. It's pretty simple faith, you know? Us as adults, we want to analyze Everything. I don't know how much more. Do you get the weight of this so far? I mean, and I only put out so many verses. I could put so many more verses there. The weight of this. Do you understand what the Jews are understanding when they hear this? Jesus says, unless you believe, ego a me. Not ego kiryu. He uses the equivalent. Unless you believe, ani Yahweh. You're going to die in your sins. And then he goes on. Continue on. Verse 27. They did not understand what he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will what? You will know what? I am. And then you get that italicized he again. Get rid of it. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know ego and me. You'll know on Yahweh. Now, I think we misunderstand when you lift up. It could be lifted up like on the cross. That's how a lot of times we think about it. But the word lift up here really means to glorify, to exalt. Okay? And I can show you all the passages later on that. Okay? Now, it is used in John 3 about the, um, as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But all the other occurrences are like, um, um, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Okay? Um, talking about from the the glorying side, okay? So here's what I want to challenge you with. I don't think it means to them, when you lift me up on a cross, then you're going to know. I think what it says is, when you 
begin to exalt me. When you, then you're going to what? Then you're going to know. Think about prior to salvation and where you are right now. How many things do you know about Jesus now that you didn't know before you accepted him as your Savior? Is there a lot? It's almost like you had a... I use this illustration a lot, but I'm sorry, because it's, it's powerful for me. I love repelling. I love repelling. I love going down the mountains. I was the guy in ROTC that I, would, I was on the rope, and I would let myself go, just fall. So the guy in belay would pull and stop me midstream. But I am deathly afraid of heights. Isn't that weird? It would take me forever to get across the ledge. I remember being Fort Bragg and this 82nd Airborne guy in my face. Go! Go! And I, I, I will. I love this. I, I love this. You don't like it! I, I love this. I just have to get over the edge. I've got to get over the edge. Folks, if you're here today and you've never gotten over the edge of Jesus Christ, I promise you, the experience after getting over the edge, it's well worth it. Do you get it? I mean, there is a fear going over the edge. I'm giving my life to this thing that, I mean, I don't know if it's really real. I'm telling you, on this end of it, my life has been transformed. You wouldn't have known me 40 years ago. <laughs> the deep water's fun. And when I can't swim, he holds me up. How cool is that? He will not tempt me, try me, trouble me beyond what I'm able to bear, but will with that troublesome situation make a way to escape. And he is. He buoys me up. Sorry, I could keep on. That's free. So, I lost my notes. I'm so excited. All right. But when you start to exalt him, you know. You get it? I can't explain it otherwise. I just know. It's real. And then we get to the end of the chapter. This is the part where it's in, if, if you have your Bibles, it's, it's all in capitals because the, the translators can't get away from it here. They just can't get away from it. It's the exact same expression. There's no object to it. But Jesus is in this conversation with them, in this, this reaction with them. You know, verse 54 is where I'm going to pick it up. It says, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. How to make friends and influence people. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Oh, that got the Jews' attention. Because they're already asking, who are you? And he says, I'm, I'm exactly who I'm telling you I am. I'm on Yahweh. The Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was on Yahweh. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out the temple. They got it. They got it. There was no, well, maybe he doesn't really mean what he's saying right now. Maybe he's just using the words. Maybe this isn't what he's trying to say. They got it. Guys, before Abraham was, I exist. That's a pretty powerful statement. Because they're thinking, wait, wait, wait. We know you were born. We know your mother. We know your brothers. Jesus drew a line in the sand. 
if you're comprehending anything I taught you today, then it's something you need to comprehend. Who is Jesus to you? I mean, who is he really? Are you playing a game? I went to church for 23 years playing a game. And then I came face to face with Ani Yahweh. I didn't know Ani Yahweh at that moment. It wasn't like I came face to face with Ani Yahweh. I came face with Ego and me. I didn't know any of that. I came face to face with he who was. Do you get it? And later, when I started reading all this, and I, God gave me the privilege of learning Hebrew and Greek and stuff like that, and I saw them, like, this is so mind-boggling, Cole, because this is exactly what you've been showing to me. Is he the incarnate presence of Yahweh on the earth? That's who he is. As we're studying Colossians in Sunday school, in him, the fullness of the Godhead is bodily. That boggles my brain. I can't comprehend that. How does that happen? He's fully human and yet fully God. How is Jesus lifted up or exalted in your life? Do others testify? Do they know that you're an ardent follower of Jesus? If you're really lifting him up, then it's so others will what? We'll see and know on Yahweh. Do you get it? That's the purpose of your life. On Yahweh. That they'll know that he exists. Am I living my life in a manner that others will know he exists? That's the purpose of life. What are you willing then to suffer for the name of Christ? Now, I understand some of you have already suffered here and there. Maybe low-level sufferings, maybe some higher levels. But I promise you, it's not going to get any better. Okay? The darkness is growing. Now, I hope that God stems it and it turns back. But before he comes back, there's going to be a cleansing of the church. And those who are real will be revealed. That's part of 1 Corinthians 11, talks about even with communion, that there's divisions among you, and there has to be so that those who are real will be made known. What are you willing to suffer? For Ani Yahweh. For he who is. Yahweh desires for all the world to know that he is Yahweh. Is that your desire too? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is true. You've told us to whom much is given, much will be required. Help us to be overwhelmed by your word. Help us to be faithful, to read it and study it. You have given it to us, not just in pieces, as, as people in the past have only had parts of the, of, the, of the scrolls. We have it all. We have it electronically. We have it in multiple versions. Lord, we have it in the Greek. We have it in the Hebrew. We have it in, in, with numbers. With, you use James Strong to put it all into numbers so that even we, people who can't understand the Greek and the Hebrew, they can understand the, the, the numberings and they can go and they can study it out. Lord, we are without excuse. Cause us to be faithful and diligent in presenting ourselves before you as workmen that need not to be ashamed, that we might rightly divide your word of truth. Oh God, that we might be 
walking, living examples. And as, Lord, as we consider, man, I want to do more. Just that you are the light of the world, Lord. That, that you have also caused us to be lights in this world. Like cities that are set up on hills, light cannot be hid. Lord, help us to live in such a way that they'll see you. And they'll exalt you. And they'll come to you. Forgive us as your church. For living in such a way that you are repudiated among men. Bring a revival to us, your people, that we may live boldly. And Lord, today as we have fellowship, having this, this meal together and the cookout and the fun together, Lord, that our neighbors around us will look and they'll see a life that comes from you. Lord, and they'll want to know you as a result of it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.